Welcome to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. What's your train wreck? Everyone has one. The question is, are you going to live there or are you just visiting? Let's check in with Mary Fran and Kristen to learn how to come through not broken, but brilliant. Hey everyone, before we dive into this week's episode, we have a resource that we wanted to tell you about. Transform every week of yours with our brilliance bit that will deliver right to your email inbox. Sign up for it at brilliantlyresilient.net and keep living brilliantly resilient. Hey everybody, it's Kristen Smedley and Mary Fran Von Tempo with a very special, special, special rerunning of one of our all-time favorite episodes with one of our all-time favorite people, Diane Barbarian. We're rerunning this because Diane just ended the battle with cancer that she has been in for quite a few years, uh, remission and then non-remission. And, you know, as much as it's a sad time that that Diane's not in our life anymore here, you know, in the flesh, in our life. I just can't help but smile when I think about her. And I think that everyone that knew her does the same thing. I mean, she was just one of the, she was one of the funniest people I have ever met in my life. And, and when I met her, we were introduced by a mutual friend when I was writing my first book, Thriving Blind. She's the first person I ever interviewed as an author. And I was so nervous. And I believe I talk about it in the episode. But when she put me right at ease and said she was so happy that she was not being interviewed for the failure that she had been interviewed for before, she was like, I don't care what you want to talk about. She just was one of those people that put you right at ease. And I mean, Mary Fran, you know, too, because you got to see her a lot in the last it more than I did in the last few months of her life. And she, there she is, you know, coming to the end of her battle and still made everybody happy around her. She um, was probably one of the brightest lights that I have ever had the joy of encountering. And I came to know her because my husband and she grew up together from the time they were little kids. They went to grade school together. They actually were coaches together at their high school that they went to. They went to high school together. So my husband's known Diane pretty much her whole life and his whole life. Um, And when she came back, he became, um, she used to call him her brother because Mm -hmm. he became uh, a connector for her and was fortunate to know people who wanted to get to know her and know her story. So through my husband and through you, I got to know her And I have never, ever seen a human being who dealt with so much suffering and so much pain and put it aside to learn the lessons of that and then share them with other people. Her, I mean, we talk about resilience and brilliance all the time. Diane was the embodiment of both. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's funny, like I'm envisioning all of my interactions with her and I'm trying to figure out how to communicate to, to our listeners that have never met her, when we say she, when you're saying she was a light and she, and I'm saying she's funny and she's very, 
she is she wasn't the kind of person that walked in a room bubbly and I mean she was real like beer in her hand and would tell you like it is she was very real but in that realness there was just something about that because there's so many non-real people I guess and you just knew that she was going to be real there was no fluff and um, I'm certain that you loved her Mary Fran because there was no woo-woo stuff there was no woo-woo no (laughs) woo-woo she she had this ability to reach people because she was people she was, she was you, she was me. She was, you know, she wasn't this walking saint, although she was, but she yeah. didn't ever know that about herself. She never presented that, uh, you know, to herself. Her message to everybody was you're on this path because you're supposed to learn something. You're supposed to do a job, do your job, try work at it. It was all the things that we hear people say, but when you hear them from someone who literally is dying, I mean, when she came home two and a half years ago, they told her she had two months to live. Mm -hmm. And she was just like, yeah, no, I'm not done yet. So (laughs) she, she went out, she spoke to Dave's teams at, at Gwen and Mercy. She spoke to to kids at Ryan, uh, uh, Archbishop Ryan High School. And it really was her mission to say, look, I'm not stopping. You got no excuse, you know? And, and like, I think we said that when we first ran this, this episode, like, okay, nobody complains today. (laughs) Nobody gets to complain because if this woman can go through life and she never complained, never I don't no. know how, I don't know how she lived that way. And, and qu- quite frankly, I don't know how she died that way without ever pointing fingers and complaining. And, and it was constantly right up to the end, big, bright smile. I saw her uh, Monday and she passed away on, I think Tuesday night into Wednesday morning. So right up to the end, big, mm. bright smiles, you know, um, and, and just somebody that we need to take, we're supposed we always say, you know, the, the, the saying is we're all just here walking each other home, you know, to, to whatever's mm-hmm. next. This is somebody you want to accompany you on that journey. You know, one of the biggest lessons that I learned from her in, in, it was actually in the interview for my book and it has stayed with me. She talked about therapy and how important it was. She never realized how important therapy was. And she's very honest in my book about how she fought the vision loss. She kept acting like it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Then she was tripping and falling at work and it got to be a mess. Um, But when she, she told me about when she went to therapy, she realized after all decades of living the way she was living, that she kept thinking, oh, I, I, I'm fixed. Like I fixed this and then I'm going to move on. And it was getting frustrated that things would happen again. And then it was, I, I'm, I'm not going to say it right. I'll have to go look it up in the book. But she so eloquently said that she would realize when something was going wrong or she was feeling a certain way, she would go, oh, I've been here before. I remember this feeling. Let me stop and feel it. She was one of the first people that helped me understand that you have to stop and feel that feel because I was, as one of my therapists called me, a stuffer. I'd (laughs) stuff it and then explode after too much stuffing. But she said, you know, you got to sit there, feel it. Remember you've been there before and you've come out of it before. So you recall that. And it's so much easier than to be open to the next right thing to do. And that was for me. Now I had expected in talking to her to know, to learn strategies of living and, and um, 
accessing a world that you can't see. And then she gives me all of this life advice that was just, but that's Diane. Like you, you go in thinking you're going to talk about a race that she's running and she's, can you imagine being one of, having been one of her sighted guide runners? I mean, the fun, the conversation as you're running these, God forbid, the marathons and triathlons that she did. I'm like, how are we friends? (laughs) (laughs) And that question is even more relevant with me because, you know, I take walks. That's it. That's just that's as much as I I walk fast. That's about as much as I exercise. But, you know, she, she had this ability and she and she raced right up until the end. She got a chair. That she had, she had friends push her in a chair to, to, to meet these goals that she would continue to set for herself. And I think the message is you don't always get to do it the way you want to do it, but you still can do it. You know, you just, you just, you have to be willing to work with the hand that you're dealt. And she constantly figured out ways to achieve her goals And here we go. We talk about this transferable skills. We talk about building a tribe and building a community. And she, I mean, she was a master at doing all those things, but she did say it was hard at first. Like, you know, she she was very, very human and very honest about all of those phases that she may never have complained, but I don't mean to say she didn't struggle with these, with things, you know, she, Mm -hmm. she just wasn't a she wasn't a whiner, a public whiner, but she she did struggle. She struggled with blindness. She struggled with her 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 continuing loss of ability to to be independent. But she also got over it. You know, she like she kind of got out of her own way. She was like, "Look, if I want to do this, I need help. So I'm going to start asking people." And and we have to recognize that as much as we value independence and all of those things. That tribe is important. So we could continue to talk about her for the rest of the day and not let her say her own thing. So this was why we wanted to bring this back to you because we have very special memories of her that we will carry with us forever. And we wanted to give you all a chance to meet her if you haven't already and to refresh your memory of her if you did know her. Yeah. So take a listen to the episode we recorded and what you're going to, what you're going to hear all throughout this episode is one of the success principles that my, the upcoming children's book of thriving blind is coming out. And she's one of only six people featured in it. And the theme of it is believe in yourself and believe it's possible. And is that Diane or what? I mean, completely. And and being all, all of the pillars of the brilliantly resilient process. She's our girl. Embodied in one person. Enjoy this, everybody. And if you had a relationship with Diane's, I know there are people in the Brilliantly Resilient tribe that knew her. Um, send us your messages about your favorite memories of, of Diane. We'll get them to her family. See y'all next time. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. We are all smiles in the Zoom room today because we have one of the most fun people to come into the room and we've already been fighting about who's who's more friends with her than the other one <laughs> shocking that mary fran and i would argue about something it is shocking people i know just hang in there get yourself some tea some coffee it's okay we argue <laughs> anyway my good buddy wink wink i'm the one who's better friends Diane Barbarian is, she came into my life a few years ago and we'll talk about the hilariousness of, of how that happened and how she 
changed my life in one phone conversation to be able to step into the greatness that I was destined to do with my book. Um, but she is the queen. Wow, that was that was quite the that was quite the pat on your back. Wait to hear the story. It's magnificent. And Diane is quite the, she is, there's Kevin Bacon. You may have heard of him, six degrees of separation. <laughs> Diane can trump that and run circles around it because she is not six degrees of separation. She is one degree of separation. <laughs> Trust me, listeners, viewers, all of you, you know someone that knows Diane. You do. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, Diane, thanks for, this coming. Yeah. So thank thanks for you. being with us. Thank you. So... I wanted to start today. You, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. But you have this amazing quote that you put up on Facebook today. And our connection is through my husband, Dave, whom you have known for way longer than Kristen has. So I'm just going to throw that out there. That one. Throw that and one out. He and I were talking today and he said, oh my God, Diane put up this great quote on Facebook. So here's what I want to start with. What you said today was, the sun will rise and set regardless. What we choose to do with the light while it's here is up to us. Journey wisely. And that was said by Alexandra L. I guess that's the, how you pronounce it. What a beautiful, what a beautiful quote. So uh, what a way for me to move forward and, and make the best of today. I'm starting it with two great people. That's how I my life. That every day we wake up, if people would just take a deep breath and realize it, it, well, it doesn't have to be a Zoom call with like two awesome women, but there's always something good about every day. But people keep focusing on like maybe the one thing that went bad. And I think that that needs a change. People need to change that. And well, I always say one thought at a time. And let's be, let's be clear, you are struggling with the, literally the fight of your life in right. your health right now. So if you can say that... There's no reason anybody else can't say that. I've already proved it. And this is my second cancer, so I already proved it once. And I have a list of things that was not perfect in my life, but did not stop me from living a pretty much a very cool 62 years. That's how I look at my life. I'm not that special, although I sometimes tell people I am. We kind of think you are. Yeah, I'm going to go with you are. I always say it's not special. I'm just definitely something different. Um, I've chose differently. I talk about it even from um, my group of friends that I grew up with. How I, my life has taken such a different course than theirs, but they, I'm accepted to be as different as I am. And I've maintained friendships. And um, I think that that's been the key to my life. Finding those people that I belong to or who accept oh me. Oh my gosh, I love that. Finding those people who I belong to. We talk about building your tribe all the time. And as Kristen said, your tribe is enormous. It is. And but that's key. There's different levels in the circle. You know, some people are always at 12 o'clock. They're there no matter what. They're just as important as the people who show up at 6 a.m. or 9 a.m. or 9 p.m. But the circle is what's important, having that tribe. And I, I joked the other day, I did a podcast and, you know, my line growing up was I wouldn't want to belong to a group that would have me as a member. <laughs> no, because I didn't felt like I fit in. So that was my, my, my reason. Um, I wouldn't want to belong to your group when really I did. Um, 
and then later in life decided that I should create my own groups and seek out those people that when you're with them, they don't notice blemishes. They don't notice, um, I hate to use the word disability, but shortcomings. Um, and, and I've presented that quite openly to a heck of a lot of people and it separates. There are people who have chosen not to be in my circle and I'm okay with that because the people who are in it are, I have no words for them. It's magnificent. Well, well, I'll say this though. What, what I think, what I know is just one of the things that draws so many people to you. And so everyone that I've talked to that knows you goes, oh, their face just goes, oh, you know, over knowing Diane. And then there's always some funny story or something, but, but here's, here's what I love. I, I, I believe it was, it was a full intention on your life to not fit in because because you didn't fit in, here's the moment that when I was saying about that you, you impacted me as, as putting that book out into the world that I did, you were the first interview that I did. And I'm not a writer. I was never a writer. I still, we still have to deliver oxygen to my English teachers. He is not a writer, folks. (laughs) Mary Fran's like, I can get about two, I can write a tweet on the tweeter that she doesn't edit. And that's about it. Right. And I was so nervous because I had to get this book into the world and I had to do these interviews with people that are succeeding without sight. And you were the first one that of course was a connection to a connection said, you got to meet the man. And instantaneously you put me in this whole different realm. I was like, Oh my God, this is my first interview. I'm so nervous. Oh my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And you were hilarious. And I said, I said, I'm so grateful. I, I, this is my first one. I've never, I have never done this before. And, And Diane says to me, are you kidding? I'm so happy to be in this because I'm a success. I was in another book because I'm a failure. <laughs> this is great. I was like, Grace, that yes. the other, the, uh, to, to go back on both of those points, that was the day I volunteered at a triathlon. And, you know, it was an Ironman. So it was maybe, well, it was definitely at night. It was dark out. And I went <clears throat> as a support. I volunteered, and then later on, I got on a bike at night. If anybody's watched Iron Man, it was a 26.2-mile run at the end of your swim and bike. So people are out there 11 to 16 hours in the dark, if they're still out there in Star Cup. And I wanted to give back to the sport. Excuse me, somebody just interrupted us. Another member of her tribe because there's another member of the tribe. There we go. There you go. You're, back. You're back. You're back. Let's hope it's just a friend and not somebody like the IRS. <laughs> <laughs> who, who and I are having phone calls with lately. Uh, but anyway, so I, I'm out on this dark course and this guy's trudging along on his marathon. And, and I had vision then, so I was safe to be out there. Let me preface that. That wasn't being foolish. Um, and you know, we're, we're just telling stories. I'm a storyteller. Mm-hmm. I've been on the course before. I've done this. Oh, my humble beginnings. I got fished out of the water in 1989. You know, they thought I was drowning. I was just a bad swimmer. I'm a Philly. <laughs> That's all it was. <laughs> talking to. Next time at breakfast, and this guy comes up to me, and he says, are you the woman that spoke to me last night? I said, yeah, I, I guess. I spoke to a lot of people. So he reviewed some of the things I said, and he said, I'm an author, and I'm going to write a book. Would you want to be in my book? I said, no, I don't want to be in your book. 
I mean, for failing on my swim and DNFing in a race, I don't want to be in a book for that. And, and he says, well, here's my card. Give me, give me, give me your email. And he contacted me later and, and told me, you know, beginners need to know that you get more than one chance if you fail. Oh, I love that. <laughs> that's what he saw about me. And I said, okay, from, you sold me. From that perspective, that is a person I want to be. I want people to know that whether, again, we can link disabilities or failures, but we always get another chance. And just because one minute or one hour or one day didn't go your way, and you've now deemed it a failure, is not the worst day. It's sitting down and figuring out how do I fix, how do I make that better if it's important. So yes, 1999, I was in a book for being fished out of the water in, I guess it was uh, early 90, or late 90s, 89. But I went on, yes, it took years to get my courage back and learn how to swim better um, and changed my tribe, hung out with only triathletes for a while. 94 did my first Ironman, 95, no, 95, 96 did the Ironman in Hawaii. And, you know, by then, you know, I just took it from there, did marathons, triathlons, um, and, you know, not just sport, but I fail sometimes in my career, or I have, I'm retired now. Um, but you always have to think, how can I make it better? And, and how I spend my life. Yes, making mistakes. And I think that's the best learning teacher. Make the darn mistakes. Everybody's afraid to make a mistake. Yeah. But I'm not. No. Yeah. I you mean, I, can, I have a whole list of failures. <laughs> Well, we always say here, like we've had, we've had literally like every guest who's ever come on has said a version of that because these are people who have learned you don't get anywhere unless you get up. And, and it's th that experience I think is where the lessons are. And, and I do a lot of meditating and you sit still, and, which people don't take the time to sit still in this 21st century um, that if, and, and it's another joke. So if you sit long enough, a private plane will bring you back to Pennsylvania. That was the joke the other day. <laughs> and indirectly it was because I had a decision to make as to how I was going to relocate from Florida to Philadelphia uh, when I was already very sick and, it, you know, couldn't take my, all my belongings. Hmm. And I know that I needed all my belongings. I already proved I didn't. Um, but that that's kind of what I do. I sit, I think, I meditate, um, and I try to do the best I can every day. Is it ever my best? Yeah. The best for that day is what, who I am. That's how I look at it. I love that. That's fantastic. So two things right there, doing the best that you can at that moment, at that day with what you got might not be the best that you did yesterday. might not be the best you get tomorrow. And honestly, the week I just went through and, and um, we're recording this on a Thursday, I, that's exactly how my week has been. Like my, my Monday, I was a superpower. Tuesday, I sucked, you know, <laughs> Wednesday, I'm like, I'm going to be a little bit better than Tuesday. And this morning I was back to my hundred percent Kristen, God bless the world. Sorry, I'm fully caffeinated. <laughs> How can you have a bad day? See? <laughs> Got you. 
So Diane, I, you, you lost your sight at what point in your life? Cause I know when you and Dave were kids, you know, you were just kids growing up in Northeast Philly. When did that start for you? And I mean, I, I, the reason I'm pointing that out is because I don't know that everybody knows that you had lost your sight and yeah. that you're battling cancer right now. I, I just want people to know what yeah. your circumstances are yeah. because you're an amazing light. And, and I, I don't want to hear anybody bitching about anything today. Because <laughs> like the weather. Yeah. <laughs> I'm about this weather. <laughs> Yeah, and people do get up and that's how they start their day. Like, oh, this is going to be a horrible day. It's raining. Really? I can make it a horrible day for you because most days I wake up in the bathroom with feeling very ill and several days somebody has to come in and help me out of said bathroom. So, uh, you, you know, again, in the scheme of life, what is day? Like, rain? Not a bad day. Yeah. Yeah. To yeah. But, question. I started some vision changes in 2006. So I was already an adult. And, you know, at that time, age is, uh, you know, when you go to a doctor and you say, well, I'm having trouble. Well, you're getting older. We need to change, you know, maybe it's time to start wearing glasses. Or, and I'm like, this is different. Like, I was already using reading glasses. But I was starting to lose, like, um, street signs. I knew the name. I knew what it said because I'd been there before but I'm not seeing the middle of the vowels and consonants of that street name. Uh, very concerning when you're in the car driving. Um, work was becoming a little difficult finding everything on computers. Um, so I immediately, again, when function changes, and I'm a physical therapist assistant, I was once a teacher, you know if you want something um, <clears throat> to be done correctly, you have to go for help. You can't do it. So when I did see an ophthalmologist, he was like, yeah, I think maybe something beyond me, something beyond just glasses is going on. Went to a specialist. Took about, I mean, I, I loosely fit into the group of macular degeneration because I lost central vision. And that's because of some macular uh, swelling. But it's a side effect of what is happening to my retinas are thinning. And it's a degenerative process. So... I do get worse, but now I'll give you the positive. So by 2011, even though we had tried different medications, different types of lenses, telescopes, tried everything. I'm the girl who's willing. I'll try anything. Um, by 2011, all the intervention stopped being of any help to me. So I crossed the line of uh, now being called legally blind. Mm. So... I see things, but I don't see everything. Um, I have a visual field of about 20 degrees around, which doesn't include that middle section. So I piecemeal things together when I look. Um, and I don't drive anymore, which is always good to have a designated driver. Um, that's been, you know, that has plus and minuses to it. But again, a service that is, has been rendered to me made it possible for me to go to appointments and go to work independently. Even though I have to drive, they're, they're second to my, my other needs. I go along with uh, the limitations in my vision, with technology and uh, community support, and then family. I try and not have them do everything for me. 
I've lived independently until June this year. I now live with my family, but that's because of the cancer, not my vision. Mm -hmm. I live independently. Um, but so 2011, things changed, and then I had to make changes. Um, I call it I went to blind school. I don't really mean that with disrespect, but I went to what is called Lighthouse of Pinellas when I lived in Florida. They taught me how to use my cane technology. I had some counseling. I did group counseling. And, you know, as much as I said, I don't need group counseling. I don't need, I don't need. Um, I did need it. And, and that must be used to hearing such arrogant people say, I'll be out. I'm in rehab. I work in a nursing home. We'll, we'll know. I'll know what to do. These people had to teach me what to do. And there was a level of acceptance in that too, that going through learning new skills at 50 some years old, I think I was in my fifties. Um, I, I didn't know I didn't need that, but it proved to me I did need that because it, it totally increased my independence. The, the, one of the first things that I recall them coming to teach me how to use my mobility cane, um, we were in like my parking lot. And I said, oh, um, I don't stay in the parking lot. Like, I go everywhere and I'm getting ready to travel for the first time to New York City alone. And I need to find some big streets, noisy big streets to teach me how to cross. Mm -hmm. And of course, they're like, no one ever wants that. <laughs> I, not even that I want it, I need it. Need it. Need it. Yeah. So of course, big step for that woman. I've taken her across on like four lane highways with traffic lights. And um, she kept saying, I, I said, well, I don't think New York is going to be any easier than this. So we need to do it. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that, that's how I started. So, so I gotta, um, oh, go acceptance ahead, and then embracing it. Okay. So that's where I was actually going when they were teaching me how to use a mobility. Excuse me. Well, that's actually the title of the chapter of Diane's chapter in my book, Embrace the Journey. Embrace the Journey. And I'm tell I have to tell people more than anything, whether it was because of age and slowing down work or fitting into a whole new village of visually impaired athletes, my life took off. I always say, I, I don't know that I would have had as many adventures if I didn't lose some of my vision. Hmm. Because the first trip that I went to, yes, was New York City. And I don't think I'd been there before with vision. So, of course, I kept figuring things out. Like, um, I would have things in large print. Like, how long does it take to get from the airport to uh, the hotel where I was staying? And talking watch. And, and I'm estimating, like, okay, we've been in the car for 20 minutes. And, you know, just totally wigged out about how am I really going to succeed at this. And I mean, there were a few faux pas with it. Um, you know, I wanted to go have lunch when I got there and New York is very busy. And I just asked the concierge at the hotel, where's the closest um, pub? Cause I, I wanted to have a beer and a hamburger. It was in the afternoon. And so he gives me directions and I said, well, I'm visually impaired. I guess there's no chance you're going to walk me down the street. He couldn't leave. Follow the people. So follow the people I did. And when they crossed the street, I crossed the street. Be, uh, you know, you can't count on all the cars have stopped. It's safe. That's the, bit, the worst rule anybody should ever follow. 
streetlights don't guarantee in New York that people are going to stop. Yeah. But I went with the people and they crossed, I crossed and I'm walking. The guy said it would be blah, blah, blah. And I get to where what I remembered and it has steps. I start to walk up the steps and I hear from the, the street, lady, I don't think you want to go there. And uh -huh. I, well, was it a pub? And they were like, no, I still don't know what it was, but it was <laughs> not where I was. So finally, a, a, a kind person said, where are you going? And I said, oh, new, a pub down on the corner. And he goes, well, that was your first clue. The steps are not on a corner, which was very cool of somebody to go along with uh -huh. picking my personality. I'm not mad, you know. So I went into the pub, and that's how I learned some of my other strategies. Find a restaurant, go in, sit at the bar. So the bartender always has enough time to talk to you. And I get information from people about what city I'm in and where to go, not go, things like that. But again, it goes back to the beginning conversation. You have to be willing, um, one, to ask questions, ask for help, um, and just get a village. Even if it's a village that you only use one day or one hour, you need these people. We all need people. Isn't that a Barbara Streisand song? Much oh my gosh, I love that idea that you just put out there to the world because we talk about a village and a tribe all the time, but the village can be people that help you in a moment and you never see them again. Correct. But they came wow. into your life. I, I said there are no accidents. I truly no. believe everybody who's in my life have been here for a reason, even if for a short period of time. I love it. I want to back up to when you were talking about, because I remember this, this is in also in the, in the story um, in, in the book with you. One of the other things that has impacted me since our conversation was about how you said that you were against therapy in the beginning. You didn't need it. And then you decided that, okay, you know, I'll, I'll use this to try to be helpful. And what, what you said to me was you learned a strategy that has carried me through my four year divorce journey, because you said that, what you learned in therapy was later when you weren't in therapy, you could say, oh, I know what this feeling is. Right. I remember this. Let me sit with this. And right. here it comes again. And it's going to go away, but I'm just going to sit while it's here. And, and it's like a version of what we talk about with Mary Fran always says, are you going to live there or are you just visiting? Right. And you were the first one to introduce that concept to me of I'm going to visit with this. I remember right. it. And then I'm going to keep going. Yep. And I, I say this all the time. Well, and I just joked about how did I get on a private plane to fly back from Florida to Pennsylvania? I was, I had a month and I was very sick, much sicker than what you're seeing now, because now I'm getting some good medication in me and it's helping me a little bit. Um, but when I first started cleaning up and having to make decisions, do I relocate now? Um, you know, I made it through the first cancer living on my own with help coming in, uh, but I'm given a different diagnosis this time. I'll move ahead real quickly. Um, I'm, I don't know if you want to call it terminal or end stage, but my cancer has returned spread and is out of control. They cannot control the cancer. Mm -hmm. uh, but in planning, like, how am I going to get through this? I, I, of course, with meditation, and I call it just sitting still. If you just sit still, I, some, I don't answer, ask questions. It's not like praying to God, which has a place in my life, but it, it's just a time where I sit and analyze or let me recognize what I'm feeling and what may be the possibilities of how to deal with it. 
So that's why we call it sit still um, mm -hmm. and let things filter. So with the plane, I kept, you know, I, we packed, we purged, we donated, and I knew that I was coming to live with family, but I didn't need furniture and all these things, which again, being a minimalist makes life much easier. Um, and I came here, well, no, I'm talking about the plane. Um, I sat and went through like how, picturing, how am I gonna get there? I'm sick. I don't wanna get on a commercial plane during COVID time. Um, I don't know that I can handle somebody driving me. I don't know, should we get an RV so I can sleep? Uh, went through all these possibilities. How do I make this transition? That's another big word in my life. How do I make this transition as smoothly for me, safe for me, and for my family, who was basically now my go-to people. You know, I live with my family. Um, and I waited and waited. And finally, I, again, look at my tribe, have a very kind man in my life who owns his own plane. And you know, about this other topic of vulnerability, we own a strong woman who I've always been or appeared to be, um, is really in need of an answer. Like, what am I gonna do? And it came to me that I do have a friend that has a plane. And as hard as it's gonna be for me to ask, um, if I don't ask, the answer is always gonna be no. My other big caveat, if you don't ask, the answer is no. So I reached out and I said, I have the biggest question favor to ask and I'm crying and I'm embarrassed and it's so hard for me to ask for this much help, but it's a big one. And my friend, and he just said to me, I don't know what your question is, but the answer is yes. Aw, what a friend. Again, if that doesn't prove to you that you need a village, uh -huh. that was an out there, and I just talked to him maybe in February when I had no indication that there was gonna be cancer. But I hadn't even talked to him other than social media. I haven't been in his company for maybe a year. Wow. But the connection, the respect, mutual respect of both our friendships, and he flew us back. He, my, my nephew and my niece came with me. Wow. So, it's, it's, we haven't told enough right now in the last couple of minutes about the importance of villages and sitting still and um, replay that for the people that are listening. Replay it because I sit here in front of you with the truth. You, this is life. Life is about having a village, being vulnerable. Um, I think it, I'd rather be known now for being vulnerable than for being like this really cool athlete. I think we got blocked again. We hear you, so we, we, right. we yeah. I, you know, what you're, what you're talking about with this whole idea, we talk all the time about you have to put your hand up, you have to ask, but it's hard. And well, you just hit that right on the head with you because it does, it does show your vulnerability. When you ask for help, we have this thing in this country that, you know, we have to be independent. We're going to do everything ourselves. And, you know, you've said over and over during this conversation, we can't do everything ourselves. We weren't put here. We weren't meant to be alone and do things all ourselves. And I think that's a beautiful way to put it. You have to be vulnerable. Well, <laughs> excuse me. It's my phone that's dying. Oh. 
<laughs> Not me. Not me. <laughs> I have a lot of death sarcasm. It makes people uncomfortable. Not yeah. us. We're, we, there's very little that makes us uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm not sure why that is or if it's a good thing necessarily, but just yeah. whatever you need to say, we're good. Right. It's, you know, and again, I grew up raised by a single parent who taught us to be very independent. And I'm not quite sure I took it to the level she was actually meaning. Yeah. She well. never said can be strong and independent, but you'll still need people. She never told us that. You, yep. You've given us so many things to think about today and, and so much um, beauty in this really, really hard journey. And I just can't thank you enough for joining us and for asking sharing me. some of your light with us because you are a light, I, I have to say. I don't you know, um, like I said, you and Dave have been friends for a long time, and I'm I'm sorry that our relationship has only just kind of begun, but um, I'm honored. Well, I'm honored to be with you too. I mean, I don't have books or podcasts, or but you know, willing to join. <laughs> <laughs> well, look here, you go. I mean, this is this is step one. We're right there. You did a podcast last week too, so. I, I think did. the beauty of all of this is that you're that you're sharing your journey with people at yeah. a time when most people wouldn't do that. And that's that's a gift. So thank you for that. I want to thank share you. if I can just share one more thing about yeah. um, our interview for for my book. I ended every single chapter with the bright side of blindness because I didn't want it to be um, something that was not uplifting. And I think actually Diane had the longest amount of thoughts in the bright side because because you look on the bright side so much but this goes to your whole just to sum up your belief um, and what we've all taken away from you today about having a village and a tribe you said I found that since I lost most of my vision I finally get to know people without making any judgment at all based on what they look like or what they're wearing that's something I wish I was able to do from a young age my friendship right. now forged based entirely on who the person is rather than his or her appearance right and, and I think, you know, all of us secretly have always wanted to just be that person that people don't care what your clothes are or, you know, what you look like. Um, just listen, uh, you know, take that off the card table, you know, take what I'm wearing or what I'm looking like today and, and let's just engage, you know. I, I'm hoping that other people kind of get that sooner in life than I did. Because again, much older, and I, I'm not sure that younger people um, are being given that message. Like it's it's okay not to dress like everybody else. It's okay not to have the same interests as everybody else. I mean, you know, I'm from the Northeast. Uh, I went to Archbishop Ryan. Um, I went to college locally, and I always say that I think in each one of those phases of my life, I I was a little different. Um, because I was working so hard to fit in mm. and it took a lot of maturity and I guess that does come with life sorry I keep waking on the phone um you know my progress in life I'll call it I mean did I have good grades and I had friends and I was athletically gifted in a lot of ways um but until I got old enough to just go it's okay if people don't like me or it's okay that I don't dress like everybody else. I just, you know, can I bring up some author's name? 
Do without, whatever makes you do whatever you want to do. Good authors. Um, I did a lot of uh, Dr. Brene Brown's work. Mm -hmm. I've probably read every book she's written um, and revisited just recently after this uh, cancer diagnosis because I have to keep reminding myself um, with this perfectionism and overachieving type A personality, I was going to miss so much in these last few months of my life if I didn't just chill out and not worry about being the best person to go through cancer. And, but that's how I start every journey. Mm -hmm. I'm vision. I'm going to be the best visually impaired person. <laughs> yeah. I did it in sports. I will be the best on the team this year. You know, in school, I will have the best grades. Um, and, and, you know, so now, you know, I went through vision loss. I, I'm not the best at being visually impaired. I still screw up a lot. I'm more comfortable with it, which I think is a gift. Um, I'm not angry. Uh, I do meet people that are, you know, so mad at some of their life circumstances. And I'm like, you're missing the point. We're yeah. giving to find a better path. And I think that my life has improved since vision loss. I think that the quality of my friendships and my getting the whole vulnerability thing happened through cancer. Um, I'm not wishing that I had it any at a younger age um, and would have had, you know, maybe a, a different outlook on life. But I think that everything I've done leading up to age 62 has prepared me, which is why if we talk about death, um, I'm pretty calm about it. Do I cry at times? Am I sad? Yes. Mm -hmm. But I think now, um, because I've accepted vulnerability to be able to cry in front of people or acknowledge that saying it out loud, this is what scares me, or this is what I, think I need. Um, I think 17 year old Diane would not have gotten it. Wouldn't have felt the comfort, um, I, I do express fear um, of the unknown, like what are those last few days going to be like? How do I prepare? Driving the doctors crazy. Um, I ask a lot of questions because I need clarity. And sure. that's, what I mean. it, that's another thing about life. Some people are afraid to ask questions. Um, and I guess that's a part of vulnerability too, because it means you don't know something. Right. But we're not meant to know everything. Ain't so, that the truth? Yeah. Good stuff. Well, you know, it's always, it is always so much fun to hang out with you. It is always, you know, you, you just, you, you hug my heart in a way that inspires me to look at things differently to, I love that you just said, chill out. That's what I'm going to tell myself. Chill out, Kristen. It does not have to be perfect. It does not, I don't have to be the best at everything today. Yeah. But like, you know, I don't have it as a tattoo, but it should say I am enough. Mm. And, and, Renee Brown thing, and I'm sure she's not the only one who has coined that, but you know, every day just be enough, enough for today. That's perfect. That's a perfect way to take us out. Yeah. And with, now that we don't live that far from each other, you know, I have free time. Oh, oh we're, coming. we're coming to see you. We are oh, okay. picking up Mary Fran. She loves riding in my Jeep with me. We're, well, I was going to say, you can't throw me in the back of that Jeep. You know, I, I'm, <laughs> we're going to put Mary Fran on the top. And then you and I will be in the front. <laughs> a day on the beach would be nice, you know? Let's do it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Diane, thank you so much for spending thank time you. with us. We are really and truly honored. And this, is, right. this has been a gift and will be a gift to our entire tribe. So thank you. I can't thank you enough.
Good. Thank you. Thanks, Can't wait to person. All right, everybody. And and your um, what is your Instagram? Is it Diane Barbarian? Uh, it's Diane Barbarian or at Iron Diane. Okay, we'll put it in a in a link on um, the show, and everybody yeah. can follow you over there on Instagram. Hey, this is thank you everybody for for listening, uh, for tuning in. Go back and re-listen to all the lessons that that Diane has taught us here today, and um, we will see you next time on Brilliantly okay. Resilient Live. Thanks, Kristen. Thanks, Mary Fran. Thanks for tuning in to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. Join our Facebook group and follow us on YouTube to be inspired with tools to reset, rise, and reveal your brilliance.